This is KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Tuesday, September 19th of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, we'll hear about what's in store for the Jaipur Literature Festival taking place this weekend at the Boulder Public Library. Dead zones occur worldwide in oceans, but thanks to climate change, now they're also happening in rivers. That story and more in This Week in Water. A text, the textile industry is one of the biggest polluters on the planet. We'll hear about a trash-in show happening tonight at Meow Wolf. Then we'll go to our comment line to hear what's on the minds of listeners. At the bottom of the hour, we'll have an update from the BBC News headlines. Then it's How on Earth. Coming up on The Science Show, a journalist and a plastics expert will discuss the challenges and fallacies of plastic recycling. At 9 a.m., we'll have an edition of The Wit and Wisdom of Alan Watts that's been sitting in a vault for a decade. Then at 9.30, Terry Reardon will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still coming up, but first, it's time for the headlines with KGNU's John Kellen. Denver Mayor Mike Johnston's emergency declaration on homelessness has been extended into next month. City Council agreed to the extension last night, the third time they've done so since the mayor issued the emergency declaration in July. The latest extension goes until October 16th. Solving homelessness in Denver has been among Mayor Johnston's top priorities since he took office two months ago. He's pledged to house a 1,000 homeless people by the end of the year. So far, he has reached about 10% of that goal, according to the Denver Gazette. The mayor's strategies include building so-called micro-communities of temporary shelters for unhoused people and buying and leasing old hotels for housing. Meanwhile, the mayor is proposing a record-setting budget for Denver in 2024. KGNU's Steve Miller has details. The proposed spending plan comes in just over $4 billion. The Denverite reports... The proposal surpasses last year's previous record budget. The proposed budget includes $39.2 million for sheltering 1,000 unhoused people in 2024. It includes money for hotels and micro-communities. A survey earlier this year counted nearly 6,000 people living on Denver streets. That did not include those living in shelters. About $12.6 million is set for rental assistance. Denver has seen a rise in evictions since money from emergency pandemic programs ended earlier this year. $20 million is budgeted for the city's migrant response. The budget also prioritizes spending on police and law enforcement, which is the largest share of the general fund. Public safety spending also includes police alternatives, such as STAR, Support Team Assistance Response, which sends a paramedic and mental health responder to nonviolent emergencies instead of police. The budget also includes putting another $2 million to accelerate the transition of city vehicles to electric, with another $2.8 million toward e-bike vouchers. The mayor's office and city council will finalize the spending plan over the next month and complete it in November. For KGNU, I'm Steve Miller. The city of Denver will pay more than half a million dollars to a man who lost an eye after police used excessive force during a peaceful demonstration in the summer of 2020. City Council authorized the $550,000 payment last night, settling a lawsuit brought by Russell Strong in February 2021. 
Strong was hit by a projectile fired by a Denver police officer on May 30, 2020, during a racial justice demonstration in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd by Minneapolis police. The city of Denver has now paid out nearly $10 million in settlements stemming from clashes between police and peaceful protesters in 2020. The Colorado Supreme Court has cleared the way for two former paramedics to stand trial in connection with the 2019 death of Elijah McClain. KG News' Juanita Hurtado reports. The Colorado Supreme Court denied a motion Monday to dismiss charges against two former paramedics tied to Elijah McClain's death. The court rejected arguments from their attorneys that Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser did not have legal authority to bring charges in the case. Governor Jared Polis made Weiser a special prosecutor after the Adams County District Attorney declined to bring criminal charges. Their trial on charges of reckless manslaughter and second-degree assault is set to begin in November. Meanwhile, jury selection is already underway in Adams County in the trial of two then-Aurora police officers. That trial is expected to last about four weeks. The officers detained Elijah McLean after a 911 call claiming he looked sketchy. He was then forcefully restrained and administered a shot of a ketamine sedative that stopped his heart. Although he was revived, McLean died at the hospital three days later. For KGNU, I'm Juanito Hurtado. A former Fort Lupton police officer has been sentenced to 30 months of supervised probation nearly a year to the day after placing a handcuffed woman in a parked police car that was then hit by a train. A Weld County District Judge handed down the sentence Friday. 29-year-old Jordan Steinke was found guilty of reckless endangerment and assault in July, though acquitted of criminal attempt to commit manslaughter. On September 16, 2022, police stopped Yerani Rios-Gonzalez for reported road rage. Former Officer Steinke handcuffed her and placed her in a police car that was parked on railroad tracks. As a result of the train hitting the vehicle, Rios Gonzalez suffered lasting brain damage. Steinke was fired after her conviction, and her peace officer certification was revoked. Another police officer still faces trial for his alleged role in the incident. The city of Lafayette is mourning the loss of one of its council members. Tanya Briggs died suddenly over the weekend at the age of 44, according to a press release. No cause of death was announced. Briggs lived most of her life in Boulder County, and in Lafayette for the last 14 years. She was elected to the city council in 2021. She survived by her husband and their three daughters. There is no word at this time how and when her council seat will be filled. Denver police say a woman who shot and wounded five people Saturday night did so after being denied entry to a bar. The shootings happened in Lodo around 11.15 p.m. Police say their suspect, who has not been identified or arrested, left the bar after being denied entry but soon returned. As she walked away a second time, she took out a gun and began firing at the club, hitting five people. Investigators say they don't think the five victims were her intended targets. All five are expected to survive, according to Nine News. In today's weather, a little cooler with highs around 80 in the Denver area. There's a 30% chance of rain this afternoon, partly sunny and breezy before that, with winds gusting at 21 miles an hour. In Boulder, look for a high of 77 degrees, a high of 81 in Denver, 80 in Fort Collins, and in Nettleton, the high should be 63 degrees.
For KGNU, I'm John Kelly. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Shannon Young. The Jaipur Literature Festival, or JLF, opens this Thursday at the Boulder Public Library. Joining me in the studio to talk about it is Heather Collins, Communications Director at JLF Colorado. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having JLF uh, on the show this morning. Yeah, well, thanks for coming into the studio so early in the morning. (laughs) So this will be the ninth annual JLF here in Boulder. Can you start by walking through a brief history of how this literature festival from the Indian city (laughs) of Jaipur ended up having an affinity event in Boulder, Colorado? Sure. It's a... It's a st- it's a heritage story. Uh, looking at it, when I talk to my friends and family, the, the best way to say they say you're working on this literature festival and it has what to do with what India, and so you look at what Jaipur stands for, and everyone is, always asks me why Jaipur Literature Festival, not Boulder Literature Festival, and hundreds of thousands of people descend upon Jaipur. Every year, it is like a rock concert for literary aficionados, for anyone that's trying to write a book, New York Times bestsellers, reporters. And there's this sense of embodiment and joy. The executive director, Jesse Friedman of JLF Colorado, equates it to, and this goes out to, you know, she equates it to the like a Rolling Stones concert where there's just joy on everyone's face and there's this humanity. So she brought it back to boulder and said we have to do something here we have to embody kind of that sense of spirit because of the artists the entrepreneurs the innovation that happens here in boulder and teamwork arts who hosts the event and puts it on they came out and they they listened to her and they said oh you know you're up against san francisco you're up against aspen you're up against big big cities but we love what boulder brings to the table and so that's why jlf colorado is here in boulder we also have jlf houston and we also have JLF New York, and those just wrapped up. So we have three places in the States, and so this will be the final the final tour of the United States. Okay, well, what kind of programming or, or themes will be covered uh, in this festival, which opens Thursday? We have, you know when you walk into a library and everyone, the first thing they say to you is, oh, you have to be quiet. And it's, shh. That, take that experience, and it's the opposite. Thursday night, we have the Isak Perlman of India playing his violin with these amazing acoustic guitar, uh, uh, acoustic um, drums, these ancient Indian drums. And we are just going to kick off JLF with music, musical notes, and it's just going to cascade and pour out of that Canyon Theater. And then it kicks off into more music. Then we get into critical thinking with, with, with JLF uh, Jaipur founder, William Dal- uh William uh, Dalrymple, and he will give the uh, inauguration. And then we go into more ideas and books and writers. And it's basically the library comes to life from these vibrant colors to the food, to artists, to dancing. And you're in this just world and you're thinking, wait, are we in Boulder? And it really embodies that spirit of Jaipur. 
So is there anything in particular that you're really looking forward to? I don't want to sound like a generalist, but I look at myself as an attendee and I really start to geek out on writers, right? Uh, I love the fact that we have more than two dozen Colorado authors, everyone from Asia, uh, Asia Fox, who's Aurora's Poet Laureate. She will be doing a writing workshop. Uh, She's just a gem to um, having... uh, this woman who I just started reading her book, it's called Bravehearted, The Women of the American West. It's by Katie Hickman. And she talks about these adventures and, and just everything that, that happens on this true life story beyond the Wyatt Earps of the world and takes us through that story that needs to be told. We have indigenous speakers. We have uh, Colorado authors such as Brooke Eddy, who talks a lot about JLF in Jaipur and why India was such a big part of her building her store, her, her Bhakti Chai. So we have Colorado authors immersed with Ivy League professors, with CU professors, to people that are teaching uh, everything from LGBT plus to BIPOC. Uh, there's something for everyone. So if you have something going on this weekend and you're thinking, I can't go to it all, find the one that, that really speaks out to you. You know, Saturday afternoon, we have this this really uh, hot topic that's happening right now about forbidden pages. David Farden from the uh, library is going to be talking about forbidden pages, banned, burned, and censored. And opposing views will be there, and other views will be there. And we welcome that kind of uh, critical conversation. The event starts this Thursday. It's free to the public, but pre-registration is highly recommended. In our final minute, is there anything else that you would like people to know about this event? You you just, it's, you know, when you look at a book and you think, oh, I got to sink my teeth into that. This is like that, but it's more than just going to a book club and you're thinking, oh, great, we're going to hear excer- excerpts from this author. This is actually having a Q&A with Pulitzer Prize winning authors, having really tough conversations on a Saturday afternoon, but then y- y- the next session will be something full of joy and it really brings you closer and it connects the dots and and, and protects the freedom of speech. And we, we need to do that. And I encourage everyone to take a look at the schedule at JLF, uh, what is the uh, website here. <laughs> Let me find the website. I've got it written down five million times. Um, JLF Lit Fest backslash Colorado. So it's jlflitfest.org backslash Colorado. And you will find something in there for everyone. I've been speaking with Heather Collins, Communications Director at JLF Colorado. Again, more information about the event is online at jlflitfest.org slash Colorado. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Up next is This Week in Water with Franny Halperin and Jamie Sudler. Worried AI is taking jobs? It's also taking water. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. A prophetic poem written by a man from Derna, Libya, just days before catastrophe struck his country last week, has gone viral. His poem warned of a failed state and rain as an alarm bell. Tragically, the poet Mustafa Al-Trabelsi was himself a victim of the flooding in Libya that left more than 11,000 dead and 10,000 missing. In just 24 hours, the region, which is generally very dry, received more rain than typically falls in a year from Storm Daniel in the Mediterranean, 
similar to a hurricane and called a metacane. Two dams above the city failed, releasing a 23-foot wave of water that hit Derna. The dams were likely not maintained and were not constructed to proper standards. What was a narrow channel in the city turned into a 100-meter-wide scar on the landscape where everything, including people, buildings, and cars, was washed away toward the sea. The cause of the extreme rain will not be known with certainty until after research, but climate change makes oceans warmer and gives storms more energy. Plus, a hotter atmosphere holds more water that can supercharge precipitation. Additionally, Libya's civil war and crisis of governance worsened the disaster. The world's oceans are heating up because of the climate crisis, which is leading to ice melting, sea level rise, and marine heat waves. Perhaps less talked about, though, is that warmer temperatures are also reducing the amount of dissolved oxygen the seas can hold, causing more dead zones where marine life can't survive. But these low oxygen areas aren't confined to the ocean. According to new research led by Penn State, Thanks to global warming, we could one day have dead zones in rivers, where the process is happening faster. The finding was surprising to the researchers who expected that because rivers are shallow and fast-moving, the water can absorb oxygen directly from the air. Also, rivers contain plants that make oxygen. However, their analysis, which looked at nearly 600 rivers in the U.S. and over 200 in Europe, found otherwise. They determined that 87% of the waterways have been getting warmer in the past four decades, and 70% were losing oxygen. Reduced oxygen in rivers can lead to fish die-offs and threaten aquatic diversity. An added concern is that the deoxygenation could promote chemical reactions that would release toxic metals from river sediments, as well as greenhouse gases like methane, furthering the climate crisis in a feedback loop. Last week, the Senate began the first of several meetings with tech leaders about regulating artificial intelligence, or AI. While there's much concern the technology could eliminate jobs and spread disinformation, another risk, perhaps less acknowledged, is that AI is thirsty, not just for knowledge, but also water. In popular apps like ChatGPT and BARD, supercomputers gobble up volumes of text, images, video, and other content so they can respond like a human to user prompts, such as requests to help write an essay, compose music, or plan a vacation. But all that computing that happens in racks of servers in warehouse-sized data centers can generate a lot of heat, so volumes of fresh water are required to keep equipment cool. How much? In its latest sustainability report, Microsoft disclosed that its global water consumption spiked by more than 30 percent from 2021 to 2022, equaling the amount held in 2,500 Olympic-sized swimming pools, and experts say it's mostly to do with AI. Experts like Xiaolei Ren at the University of California, Riverside, who has been studying the environmental impact of AI, he says ChatGPT gulps down roughly half a liter of water every time it responds to between 20 and 50 prompts. Microsoft is not alone in guzzling water. According to Ren and his team, Google's data centers in the U.S. alone 
consumed nearly 13 billion liters of fresh water in 2021 to keep their servers cool, a 20% increase from the previous year, which Wren attributes to AI. Wren confirmed to H2O Radio that one way to lower the water footprint of AI is to schedule the time computers spend training to nighttime when it's cooler. And finally, if you take public transit in the middle of the summer, you might find yourself looking for some shade from the sun, but don't assume that a bus shelter will help. It could actually make you hotter. That's what an investigation by Houston Public Media revealed in what may be a first-of-its-kind examination into the dangers of waiting for a bus as the climate warms. The summer was one of the hottest on record in Houston, with temperatures above 100 degrees for weeks. So two journalists wanted to learn about its effects on bus riders. Their study showed that almost three-quarters of the plexiglass shelters reached points at which people were at extreme extreme risk for heat illness, such as heat stroke or heat exhaustion. And in close to 20% of the shelters, they actually made the heat worse than standing in direct sunlight, while the protection offered by nearby trees was much better. The Houston Metro Bus Authority told the reporters that shelters are tested for how they handle rain, but not heat. That's it for this week in water. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Meow Wolf is an art collective known for its surreal walkthrough art exhibits in Denver, Santa Fe, Las Vegas, and Grapevine, Texas. Many of their installations have elements of environmentalism and sustainability, and their event tonight is no different. KGNU and Report for America's Jackie Sedley talked with Kate Major, wardrobe coordinator and character creature designer at Meow Wolf in Denver about this evening's Trashin' Show. As an artist, I've always really liked reworking with materials or repurposing things, recycling things. I mean, it definitely started out as being a young, poor artist who didn't have any money and trash is free. So that's pretty great. <laughs> but then, you know, as I've grown, it's definitely a response to the fashion industry being a huge polluter from the factories to the waste it caused to the fast fashion industry. So we don't want to contribute to that. So I try really hard to make costumes and characters and creatures out of reused materials. I also know that there's a lot of artists like locally in the Denver and Colorado kind of area that also really like to rework trash. And I thought this would be like a really fun opportunity to showcase that. Is there something to be said about reinventing the word trash and changing the connotation of it, right? Because to me at least, recycling and upcycling imply a bit of a moral cause and a use to it. What, what What's the difference? I use the terms interchangeably between trash and recycled materials for a few reasons. I do understand, though, that a lot of people have some negative connotations around the word trash, like they think of gross, dirty, icky. I obviously don't have that because yeah, well, we love trash. Trash is awesome. Trash is our art. Trash is what we see every day. So I don't have that negative connotation, but I could see how that could be a sticking point for some people. When you hear the word trash, in my brain, I'm visualizing, because of the stigma of the word itself, right? I'm visualizing outfits made out of dirty paper towels and, <laughs> and food scraps, which 
is awesome. To me, that doesn't gross, look dirty, icky, right? Like trash right. is gross, dirty, icky. And then recycled or upcycled is yes. washed, sanitized. I find that really interesting. I think that's a very good point. Like when you when when I say trash, like I mean, even in my head, like you picture a trash can with like banana peels spilling out. I mean, sometimes that is it, though. We have one of our designers, Musa Mahoney. She has been collecting vape pens from vape stores. And it's gross, right? So like that is trash that she is reusing. So sometimes it is gross. And sometimes it's making something beautiful out of something gross. Right. So do you have a message that you're hoping to put out with the Trash and Show specifically? Yeah, I think it's to look twice about the stuff that you're throwing away whether that is plastic bags from your groceries or whether it's clothes that you were going to take to the thrift store because recycling and thrift stores are not 100% infallible as far as reusing items goes. So what if there's a way you can take those jeans and make a skirt out of them? Like reinventing how you use your trash and just in the hopes of trying to keep some of that out of the landfill. That was Jackie Sudley speaking with Meow Wolf designer Kate Major. The Trash and Show is happening tonight at the Meow Wolf Perplexiplex in Denver. We go now to our listener comment line. Good morning. While I believe that the tar sands is a very important topic, I don't think it was um, a good use of time to preempt the Alan Watts time. It's only 30 minutes during the entire week. And there are other shows that could have been preempted that would have been a better choice. Thank you. That call came in response to preempting our weekly Alan Watts programming that usually plays every Tuesday. Last week, we aired a time-sensitive interview between KGNU and Report for America's Jackie Sedley and Milen Villard, a Boulder resident and climate activist arrested for protesting pipelines on Indigenous land. Since all of the open program slots for September had been scheduled out and Alan Watts hasn't produced a new episode of his lecture series in half a century, it seemed like a logical choice for a preemption. But multiple listeners disagreed. Lucky for them, we have an episode coming up at 9 a.m. that hasn't been aired in over 10 years. That's it for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host and producer, Shannon Young. John Kellen produced the headlines with contributions from Juanito Tortado and Steve Miller. Thanks to Alexis Kenyon, Jackie Sedley, Franny Halpern, and Jamie Sudler for their contributions to today's program. Stay tuned for How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. That's coming up after the BBC News Headlines.